2: Welcome to Nothing Impossible on News Radio 1120, KMOX. If it's happening in local innovation, we'll talk about it here on Nothing Impossible. Michael Calhoun of KMOX News and Travis Sheridan, Executive Director of the Venture Cafe Global Institute, with you on our
3: weekly show here. There's always something happening, isn't there? Well, we've got plenty to talk about this week. Always something. And things are happening fast, like fast routes of transportation between here and Kansas City with Hyperloop.
2: Yeah, we've told you about the Hyperloop before. If you are curious about where things stand right now, when you'll be able to get to Kansas City in about a half an hour or so, we'll bring you the update. They're getting close to starting some studies and getting to getting over that first hump with the Hyperloop. So
3: we'll get the update. Can you imagine getting off work uh, at like five o'clock and still making it, you know, KC for the first pitch. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> the i seventy series becomes the Hyperloop series
2: in that that case. Uh, so Andrew Smith of the regional chamber will drop in. He'll also update us as the legislative session gets underway in Jefferson City. Some St. Louis topics of note being discussed there. And then when was the last time you went to a bank branch? Oh, man. Uh, you do most of it on your phone, don't you? I
3: do. Like even depo- like the ability to take a picture of a check yeah. and deposit it digitally. Yeah, I don't think I've gone to a branch. Two years, maybe? Oh, wow. It, it, wow. It, it, maybe two years.
2: Well, yeah. The big, the big banks are taking a look at their number of branches and maybe paring them back a little bit because of that, or at least making them smaller. But there's also a trend of these new – have you heard of Simple or Ally or even Chase Bank is is launching one of these called Fin? And they're basically virtual banks. You don't have a, a branch to go to, but it has a robust, easy-to-use app. All of these services do. And there's a, a Saint Louisan who's purchased a bank that was not doing too well in North Saint Louis County, and his goal is to create one of these
3: virtual banks. Well, I mean, why start from ground zero, right? I mean, bank. There's a lot of regulat- regulatory issues of like creating a bank, so why not uh, find a bank that maybe uh, can be a turnaround opportunity? Yeah, so we'll get
2: the scoop on Paramount Bank, and finally. A big step forward for Lambert Airport. Uh, More people fly southwest than any other airline. It's the biggest airline at the airport. And yet there hasn't been a club in Terminal 2. Only if you fly uh, American Airlines can you get into the Admiral's Club. And so many business travelers want that access and they fly southwest. A new club has opened at Lambert Airport. Here's what's interesting, though. It's run by a St. Louis company that does this. Kind of stuff all over the country. So they just open up,
3: they run and manage these airport
2: clubs? They manage everything from, uh, they provide staff for checking in, uh, passengers at airports, ramp staff, cargo staff, the -the behind-the-scenes staff at more than 40 airports. But they're also opening these luxury lounges in airports, too.
3: So we'll get the scoop on that. And Cortex... In the news again, Uh, this time in a comparison type of story in the Wall Street Journal talking. uh, uh, The article was about uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, and some of the things that are going on there with their innovation district and the similarities between what has happened in Cortex in St. Louis. We're not kidding. So much to talk
2: about when it comes to local innovation. Stick around. We'll get into it up next on Nothing Impossible on KMOX.
3: Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. All right. Well, we teased you with banking in the beginning. Let's go to uh, the interview Michael did with Ken Neiman, who is the uh, entrepreneur behind Paramount Bank, changing banking in St. Louis and around the world.
2: So this is not necessarily a new bank, but maybe a new approach to banking for the St. Louis market. I mean, talk about what's going on. We're here in this Paramount Bank branch in North St. Louis County. And Ken, uh, you own a mortgage company. You've bought this bank branch. What do you intend to do with it from here?
1: We intend to enhance the, or serve the needs of the community in a much more efficient manner than is being done today. This is the only bank branch, a bank headquartered in North County. We're committed to the community. We're making a substantial investment in the community, and we intend to increase the, the products and services available to the residents of this community.
2: And for listeners, maybe think about the question when was the last time you went to a bank branch and it didn't involve applying for a mortgage or a car loan or something like that maybe just to make a deposit the answer is probably you got to think about it for a second scratch your head maybe everybody seems to use their phones uh, and apps these days and banks like ally and simple and now even chase is testing an online only bank in the st louis market called fin and that's kind of the the market you're looking toward with this bank here in North County.
1: Exactly. So we have transactional customers about 100 or so a month that we actually do mortgages for throughout the St. Louis community and actually throughout the country. We can actually offer the same level of deposit services and loan services to those customers by simply using technology to actually access those services for those customers and cross-sell and effectively service those customers without having to have a bank facility. So
2: how does it work for somebody who Maybe they have U.S. Bank. They just have the app. But to think that you don't have that safety net necessarily of a branch, um, how does it work when you have an online-only app-based bank? Well, the
1: good news is that you can actually keep a bank account with one of those safe community or communities bank stores that you would possibly use. But the way technology works today, you can transfer money back and forth between institutions almost effortlessly. And that's the kind of technology we're investing in so that people can do business with us. And if they feel they need to have a teller line and an ATM and a full-service banking facility and we're not located close enough for them to have that, they can have that and they can have us as well.
2: But on the other hand, if you're in St. Louis and you've got simple You don't have a branch to go to, but at least here, if you use what you're working on, you do have this branch in North St. Louis County that people can also stop in.
1: We do. We feel it's very important for us to have a presence in our local community. We are committed to North County, and we want to make sure that the residents of North County have access to the same sophisticated financial products that are available throughout the St. Louis community. We're committed here, but we're able to do business elsewhere as well.
2: Take me through the process of how do you build not necessarily a bank from scratch but it kind of seems almost like that cuz especially when you think about building this app and this infrastructure and that sort of thing how do you how do you take this physical bank branch and build this kind of bank of the future?
1: So we'll do a couple of things. First off, we have a mortgage company that is generating a lot of transactional transactional revenue and transactional customers. So we will market to those customers fairly actively offering deposit specials and loan specials to interest them in doing business with us beyond the mortgage transaction. In addition to that, we will have an active market outreach inside of the North north county community with our local bankers and our local mortgage representatives out in the community uh, charitable endeavors um, community endeavors and, and just working with uh, businesses and residents of the community so we will have a community banking presence but with a really strong technology backbone backbone
2: what do you think is lacking right now in the apps that people use to interact with their banks and what do you think that paramount bank uh, will bring to the market that's not
1: available now okay so uh, the on a on a deposit basis um some of the applications and some of the banking infrastructure that's been built over the past 10 years is getting to be fairly ancient. So some of the new technologies that are being brought into place, some things like uh, debit cards for kids who are under 18, uh, cosign credit card obligations, um, products that are helping younger people get into banking, um, we're able to offer those very effectively and efficiently. And some of the startups are very focused on bringing younger people and millennials into the banking world without having to have a brick and mortar approach. So those, that, so those applications, has Been lacking, and that's where most of the energy in, in the ecosystems are going, uh, the financial and um, fintech ecosystems are going to those types of products.
2: And why purchase an existing bank and try to? Uh evolve it into this new digital age as opposed to just starting from the ground up, building a new bank from scratch?
1: It's a great question. Number one opportunity. Um, this bank, Superior Bank, was the name of the bank we bought. We changed the name to Paramount Bank about a month ago. Um, it was existing um, to purchase this bank and to capitalize it was about a, a quarter to a third of the investment that a brand new bank would would require. Um, it's also a fairly healthy bank for what it, for what it is. Um, it, it had some struggles and the man, prior management had built it and uh, taken it down to to a, a level where it was basically break, break even baseline, we're able to bring in new capital and new energy, new technologies and a new business plan to generate some profits and be able to reinvest in the balance sheet and start bringing banking services back to the community in a meaningful way.
2: And just in terms of banking and the way that we deal with money, whether it's getting a mortgage or depositing depositing a check, what's technology changing in terms of the banking industry, things we might not see behind the
1: scenes? Well, you're going to see a lot of, of interactivity between um, deposit accounts. So, for instance, our our new operating system will allow you to have a bank account here at Paramount, and you'll be able to go access your Schwab um Stock account, and you'll be able to transfer money back and forth and be able to view both in real time on our banking system. Um, you'll be able to, to do pop money and Venmo type of transactions um, in a very, very simple fashion. This technology was not available two and three years ago to almost any but the big money center banks. It's now becoming available to every bank. The banks that are fortunate enough to have the capital and the energy and the, the vision to invest in these things will be able to actually take business away from bigger banks who are having to deal with. Larger human resource, human capital constraints, and also real estate investments, we're able to be very virtual very quickly.
2: Do you take this? Do you open this when you get the virtual part worked out? Do you? open this up nationwide to anybody, or do you geofence it, so to speak, to a certain area and roll it out from there, do you think?
1: Oh, I think the mortgage department will actually go national very quickly. We have um, a group of folks who've actually done business in St. Louis throughout the country. Being a bank bank mortgage division, I'm able to lend in 50 states today, so I can actually go out and start doing business throughout the country. Um, As we do business with people throughout the country, we can offer banking services to them as well. And what you find is that people like a technology and relationship mix that is healthy and allows people to get to know the person they're working with, but be able to get service upon demand, but have 24-7 access to technology. Those two are sort of the fintech buzzwords of the future.
2: What do you think? This is a general question, but where is the financial industry going? Um, even in terms of the the division of services, you've got Square covering one part, PayPal. Then you've got your bank, a mortgage company. Um, you know the credit card processing companies. Uh, is there consolidation on the way? Where do these some of these newer players? What role do they play? Where's the financial industry going to be? How many? players are we going to have to interact with for a transaction uh, five ten years from now?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think that, that, that whoever you're going to be interacting with is going to be a lot different looking than they are today. And if you think back 10 years, you could make that comment that 10 years ago, you would have thought that everybody would look the same today. 10 years later, banks are shrinking their real estate footprints. I think that's going to continue to occur. I think you're going to see um, interactions between all of these, these entities that you just mentioned are going to become much more prevalent in the bank And the companies that invest in the ability to interact with all of these emerging technologies are going to be the most successful because they're going to be able to offer the most products and services to their core customer base. So um, uh, integration and interactivity with, with technology is incredibly important in the future for financial services companies. There, it's amazing that some of these gigantic organizations, the IRS, for instance, to get a tax transcript from the IRS takes an act of Congress. Um, there are certainly some, some antiquated systems and processes in place that will be disrupted by technology over time. I would imagine that ACHs and wires are going to be, um, that will be rapidly transforming into different things. We've just gone through a massive regulatory um, change over the past six or seven years uh, on the heels of Dodd-Frank, and we've digested that. Banks and financial institutions have become very adept at dealing with the current regulatory climate. Mm -hmm. Assuming that the current regulatory climate doesn't get more or worse, um, I would think that there'll be more innovations in in most of it to bring some of those antiquated systems up to speed.
2: So when you pay a bill and you use your checking account number, and it takes like three days to come out of your account. That's what we're talking about.
1: Exactly. I pay my daughter's rent at the University of Georgia. I go on there. In a, I go online. I hit a button on the the landlord's website, and they go right into my checking account and pull that money electronically out of the checking account literally within minutes of me doing it. That is very virtual. That is an electronic transfer. Those are getting more and more prevalent. It is the best way to pay bills. It is the best way to transact. It makes life easy.
2: Well, what's the timeline for your build-out of Paramount Bank and the electronic infrastructure?
1: I think we'll be live with our new um, and integrated systems within the next 90 days. We are looking actively at the two different alternatives, um, both of which will put us into a virtual banking um, platform within 90 days. All right. Thanks for that.
3: We will uh, be back with more Nothing Impossible. Stick around. So much more to talk about.
2: Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. Welcome back, Michael and Travis with you. And let's go to Kansas City in about 25 minutes, shall we? Uh, if not faster, right? If not faster. Let's uh, bring into the conversation on this edition of Nothing Impossible, Andrew Smith, head of innovation and entrepreneurialism for the St. Louis Regional Chamber. Thank you for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me. So for people who I think everybody's heard of Hyperloop at this point, right?
3: Well, this is, well, well, you know, loops and trolleys and like transportation have been a big buzz in the St. Louis region, but this is not the U-City loop, this is the Hyperloop, this is the Elon Musk Hyperloop between, uh, you know, St. Louis and possibly Kansas City. Yeah, Andrew,
4: explain what Hyperloop is. So basically, Hyperloop is um, what we believe will be the, the, the next generation, the next significant leap forward in transportation infrastructure. It was first proposed by Elon Musk, and essentially what it is is it's a magnetically levitated train inside a vacuum tube. And so what that does is it allows you to take advantage of the two best features of of that technology, of each of those technologies, lack of friction, lack of air resistance. And you have a train inside a tube, which has an atmosphere inside it that's essentially like being at 200,000 feet. And that allows you to travel at speeds of up to 650 miles an hour.
3: What I think think is really interesting is uh, I moved out here from California. And there's, you know, California, and they're still working on this whole idea of high-speed rail. And... Even when they started this probably a decade ago, I thought, as much infrastructure as this is going to take, by the time it's finished, it's going to be an outdated mode of transportation. Uh, I, what is it about the hyperloop that is other than the science behind it? Uh, how, why is this such a great idea for a region like this like Missouri and uh, the Midwest?
4: Sure. so I mean, I think I think that's always something you have to keep in mind when you're looking at transportation um, and, and infrastructure investment, right? is you know is is this going to be obsolete by the time we get it implemented? The difference, I think with Hyperloop is, number one, the technology is essentially validated today, right? We've had the magnetically levitated trains in, in China and other um, Asian countries and even now in the Near East um, for over a decade, and that technology is there, um, buildable today. We've had vacuum tubes since the forties you know, and 50s, right, when you'd pull up at a, a bank and put your money <laughs> in the slot, yeah. and then back comes a lollipop. Um, so one is, I think, the, the viability and, and near-term achievability of the technology. The other is, you know, this is, this is um, a real quantum leap uh, um, in terms of linking regions and mega regions. So high-speed rail, you know, you can get ra- rail up to 200 miles an hour, maybe 220, 230 if you're lucky. Um, that's great. I don't want to minimize that. I think there's a, a real role for that. But there's a difference between that and 650 miles an hour. And the difference <laughs> is you can go between downtown Kansas City and downtown St. Louis in 24 minutes on a hyperloop. You're not going to be able to do that on traditional high-speed rail. When
2: you said that speed, Travis and I both,
4: like our eyebrows raised, <laughs> yeah.
2: that is an incredible speed. It's it's hard to comprehend almost.
4: It, it really is. And, I mean, the good news, again, is that we, the company that we're spending most of our time with, Hyperloop One, which is now actually Virgin Hyperloop One because Richard Branson from Virgin mm. has come in and, and uh, put a significant amount of money behind it. Um, they are the only company that has a full-scale prototype. And they are constantly doing testing on it, constantly expanding it. They just recently, December 15th, in fact, had another test, got up to 250, 260 miles an hour on that test. They used the entire length of the track that exists today. So for mm-hmm. them to hit the next level of their speed uh, trials, they're going to have to actually build more track. Hmm. And what is,
3: so what's St. Louis's role in all of this? Like, why are, why are we part of this conversation?
4: So if you go back to 2015 or so, um, there was an engineer with um, MoDOT, Missouri T- Department of Transportation. Um, who was working with another group of engineers in the department on this thing called the Road to Tomorrow. And it was basically a look at what can you do along the I-70 route that will drive innovation. And they were looking at all kinds of things, solar farms. They were looking at embedded technology in the asphalt that will, like, generate electricity through static, cool stuff. One of the things they looked at was Hyperloop. Hmm. And this was about the time that Hyperloop One had announced their global competition. So they invited cities from around the world to submit, right, um, their route proposal. Well, this engineer um, worked with other engineers, put together a really strong proposal to link Kansas City, Columbia, and St. Louis. It was so strong, in fact, that we were one of only 35 semifinalists out of 2,600 submissions that came in from around the world. Now, a lot has happened in the Minerum. And by the way, that engineer is Tom Blair, who is Hmm. now the head engineer for the St. Louis District Hmm. and is part of our Missouri Hyperloop Coalition. So he's deeply involved in this.
2: What are the folks at Virgin virgin hyperloop one now what do they say about this st louis to kansas city route with columbia in the middle versus uh some of the others that have made it through to this final round and what are some of those others i know colorado's been mentioned but who else so there
4: are um there are a few other routes around the world first of all they what they will say and they have said publicly is that we're one of the top five if not top three routes that they're looking at globally Mm. which is phenomenal position to be in in fact you know, I don't want to get in trouble for this because I'm a big supporter of the Amazon HQ2 project, right? We all <laughs> yeah. want that. But if you think about it, right, Amazon HQ2, we're one of 238 cities that submitted. And it's a $5 billion investment. Hyperloop One, we're one of five, maybe one of three. And it's a $20 billion plus investment. So the, the scope of the opportunity there is, you know, significantly higher in my opinion. Um, so they will tell you that we're one of the best routes that they have. They'll tell you that we are more engaged than just about anyone else that they're working with. Um, They've given us a roadmap for what we need to do to compete all the way to the end, and we're following that roadmap very closely.
3: So uh, if this happens, I'm I'm imagining it takes more than 25 minutes to get to uh, West County Mall. uh, (laughs) Yeah. to get down to the uh you know the the downtown district of Kansas City would be pretty exciting. Uh, you
2: would be deciding do I go to the Galleria or do I go to Country Club Plaza for your right. shopping. It would,
3: it would make the you know make baseball season that much more exciting oh, yeah. That uh, i 70 series.
2: Uh, we talked about this rename at the Hyperloop series. That's right. That's right.
3: <laughs> what would I mean, what would this do from the entrepreneurial standpoint uh for innovation within the region not only to win something like this but the way to start spreading out innovation across that that path that the loop is on, right? Then innovation won't be necessarily housed in the, in the hubs, but really along that entire path are opportunities.
4: That's exactly right, Travis. So, so, you know, one of the things that I like and and Hyperloop one likes about our proposal is we have so much to gain from this. In a lot of ways, we have more to gain than any of the other cities or regions that are out there proposing. it. And the reason is this in Missouri, we have this really weird situation, right? Where we have two major metropolitan areas on opposite sides of the state that straddle state lines. And what do we do between those two cities? Well, we fight with each other all the time, right? I mean, it's classic sibling rivalry. Mm -hmm. And so we end up tearing each other down, beating each other up. And there's a certain amount of competition, I think, that's healthy and that produces the best Mm -hmm. in both of those cities. But there are times when it gets to be unhealthy. So you look at a situation like the Amazon HQ2 proposal and you think, well, these two cities are, are, are both proposing to have Amazon locate there. If, you know, in a traditional world without a hyperloop, If one of them wins and the other loses, it's a catastrophe for the one that loses. Well, if we have Hyperloop that's linking those two cities along with a major research university in between them, both cities win. We essentially have created a single economic mega region of 5 million people. Mm -hmm. Now, to put that in perspective, 5 million people would make that the ninth largest economic region in the country. Mm. Bigger than Boston, which is about 4.7 million. Bigger than San Francisco, which is about 4.4 million. Does that mean that we're going to be Boston or San Francisco overnight when we build this? No, of course not. But it does mean that we have a lot more to offer companies like Amazon or any entrepreneur or any business that's looking to locate in this in this part of the country.
2: Yeah, it's a fundamental rethinking of, I mean, changing the paradigm. When you said the word region, mm-hmm. my mind, I'm sure a lot of people's minds, Travis, went to, all right, St. Louis City, County, the Metro East, you right. know. Right. But region becomes the state of Missouri across this innovation corridor. Andrew Smith of the Regional Chamber, we've talked with you about Hyperloop before. What's the latest now with the process, with the conversations, with the raising of private money? And there's a public meeting coming up, too.
4: There, There is. So um, there's a lot of work going on. Um, I'm traveling to D.C. this weekend, and there's a meeting of uh, about eight or nine different states, um, de- departments of transportation, engineering organizations, other interested parties, and we're really going to be focusing on the federal regulatory um, framework that we need for this, um, so that's exciting. Um, in terms of our own proposal, um, we are, I'd say, very, very close to being able to make some interesting announcements about it. And I got to be careful what I say. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to step on our our, uh, our press coming up in the next few weeks. But um, the thing we were told um, by Hyperloop One that we needed to do was build this public-private coalition, which we've done and raise the funds for a major engineering feasibility study to, stud, to look at that route right, along I-70 and look at it in real detail and look at the cost and look at the um, environmental impacts and look at the regulatory situation. Um, we got a number of bids. Um, we've evaluated those bids. We've selected a partner. We're very close to being able to make an announcement on that partner, and I would say I am um, extremely confident that we have the funding in place to be able to cover any of the costs associated with that.
3: Well, speaking of funding, we're going to make a a shift away from Hyperloop, but looking at funding and the role that the chamber plays, especially as it relates to advocacy and policy, uh, we're in a new legislative session here in in the state of Missouri. Uh, On the table again is uh, funding and discussion of funding uh, that used to be called Missouri Technology Corporation, uh, now has maybe maybe a a version 2.0. Can you give us an update on what's going on on funding innovation and entrepreneurship in the region and the state?
4: Sure. So, um, the 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 impetus for Hyperloop really came out of the Governor's Innovation Task Force, which convened over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know you guys covered it. Your listeners probably know plenty about it, so I don't need to go over that in any detail. But there were about 30, 35 recommendations or options that came out of that. Hyperloop was one of them. We leaned in, and that's how we ended up getting where we are today with it. Um, another one um, that we think is uh, at least as important is the Missouri Venture Fund, which is essentially the next... Generation, I guess I would say, of MTC, mm-hmm. and the idea here is that you leverage the bond rating of the state, which is outstanding, one of our greatest assets, uh, to create a you know 100 to 250 million dollar venture fund, professionally managed, um, using some public money, some private money coming in to support regional entrepreneurship. That's absolutely critical. We've got to get something like that through, and we have a window of opportunity to make that happen. We're going to be focusing on it um, quite a bit in 2018, including. A little bit later this month on January 17th when we have our legislative day in Jefferson City.
2: All right. And also later this month, what are the details uh, for people who want to learn all about Hyperloop? Maybe they've got some questions. When's this meeting?
4: Um, the, the meeting in Jefferson City?
2: Uh, the meeting on Hyperloop. January 23rd? I January 23rd
4: um, at 7.30 a.m. at the Chamber.
2: All right. Andrew Smith of the St. Louis Regional Chamber, thank you so much for the update. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And we'll be back with more Nothing Impossible.
3: Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. Last year, I think I traveled around the globe three and a half times. That's all? It seems like it was more than that. And I did spend a fair share of time in airport lounges, and like we teased at the beginning, we're getting a new one in St. Louis over at Terminal 2. Michael, I had a chance to talk to Sarah Libley, who is the president and CEO of Airport Terminal Services, the folks behind the new lounge in the Southwest Terminal.
2: So, Wingtips is an airport lounge, and I think most people are familiar with that concept. If they fly Delta, they know the Sky Club, for instance, or here, they'd know the American Airlines Club. Um, but what is Wingtips.
0: Well, wingtips is all those things and more. So we're a VIP lounge experience, but the beauty of a common lounge is that you don't have to be flying a certain carrier to gain access, and you don't have to fly at a certain premium level to gain access. So anyone can join. You can come in just for the day with a day pass, or you can buy a corporate membership, or you can get it through a network of high-end credit cards.
2: How do you describe, when you walk into the St. Louis facility, the aesthetic in there and also more about the amenities that'll be offered?
0: Well, it's a beautiful space. We're fortunate in that we were able to use the design of these barrel windows that let this beautiful light filter in. And we have these pops of red that gives a nostalgic old feel to a lounge. Um, I think it's a beautiful setting. There's lots of quiet areas that you can take a private phone call. There's bistro tables that you can sit and enjoy the food buffet. And the food buffet has hot offerings and breakfast and dinner and snacks throughout the day and a gorgeous bar. And the bar is bartended and will have seasonal drinks and uh, uh, nice premium wines and beers on tap for those of 21 and older, of course, and uh, then complimentary drinks throughout.
2: Now, we can talk about the national trends at a moment, but just to, even a couple of years ago, I think, much of what we now call E, this stretch here, was cordoned off and it was the old term you know, concourse D from years ago people remember it from TWA and it's been brought back to life the gates go all the way down that corridor now what has it been like for a St. Louis based company too a lot of people might not know a St. Louis based company to see this airport come back to life like this and to see the demand for this here in your hometown?
0: Well, the question's a great one, because if you're a hometown girl like I am, and you grew up at the airport, which I did, so I was Ozark in TWA, and I opened up this facility when Southwest first started the East Terminal. So it's great to be back among friends, it's great to see Southwest flourishing to be able to expand to these gates, and now it's great to offer their guests this great lounge experience. So we couldn't be more proud.
2: And the demand here, not only is Southwest, if they had hubs, I guess you could call this maybe a hub. Uh, But so many connecting passengers through here now, too. And the demand for this lounge, the fact that there's a business demand for this.
0: You're absolutely right. And and Southwest is known for value. And everyone appreciates value. And um, my board members fly Southwest. They they get that value. They have a number of nonstops that they can enjoy. But they're going to love the ability to mix that with good business experience through a lounge.
2: And talk about the company itself, St. Louis-based company. What else does ATS do?
0: Well, we're in 45 airports in U.S. and Canada. We were born in St. Louis providing general ground handling services at the East Terminal. And so we provide things like fueling and aircraft handling, cargo handling, passenger service check-in. We started this hospitality division about three years ago when we envisioned doing more of these airport lounges and also offering a product that we call Airport Butler. And Airport Butler is a personalized concierge meet-and-greet service that we offer at airports.
2: What is the national trend toward these general use lounges as opposed to the airport-specific ones that people have been familiar with?
0: Well, I think all things are going to play there. So I think airlines will continue to have their lounges at their most important hubs and their large cities. They want to take care of their loyal customers, but they can't put lounges in every city. So those cities that they're not focused in and those secondary cities that lounges might not make sense for an airline to invest in will be a great playground for common-use lounges.
2: What was it that... um that caused you to say... This St. Louis, there's the demand here for this. Because you've done it in New York, right?
0: Right. We were so fortunate that we found ourselves with our first lounge in New York, and JFK. So it's a completely different characteristic because of all the international carriers that fly in that terminal. But St. Louis is a perfect, this is a 7.5 million uh, passenger terminal. So it is its own airport in its own right. Um, We have several waves of passengers that will be here throughout the day. So we knew that the A-listers that fly through Southwest um, look for that business amenity so when we looked at the business model we felt really confident that the lounge could be supported by those guests and thankfully the airport had that vision and the airport wanted a lounge in st louis
2: and what are the amenities that we're seeing crop up and what are the things that people are asking for too that maybe this lounge has that people haven't seen in the other clubs that they've been to
0: Well, I think one thing you'll see that's different at our lounge is that we are a St. Louis company making St. Louis offerings. So, we are sourcing locally. We have a rotating menu, so it won't be the same food day in and day out. Uh, So, I think that's a little bit different and unique. But also the business amenities. We do have a conference room, so people can book a meeting before they go out on a flight. Or if they just come to St. Louis and need a quick meeting at the airport, uh, we'll have all those amenities with state-of-the-art facilities. Um, uh, We will have the highest speed Wi-Fi at the airport. I believe my IT guy told me that this morning. So right now we're boasting the highest speed Wi-Fi. So for that person that needs to take that conference call or just do a little work before they get on a flight or really want to and just enjoy a drink or a cup of coffee before they head out will be that respite for them.
3: And
2: there are corporate memberships available too, right? There
0: are and we're so excited that uh, to announce that Worldwide Technologies is our very first corporate member so we couldn't start with a, a greater company that is uh, on the stage in St. Louis and bringing in guests all the time and we are working very closely with several corporations to join a corporate membership.
2: Can you give any examples of some other St. Louis companies who are interested or who've bought memberships?
0: Well, I can't announce them right now, but we have several that are interested. So we're excited and hopefully we'll be announcing those in the weeks to come.
2: Who do you envision being the target customer for this? A business you know, executive whose company is based in St. Louis, and they fly mm-hmm. Southwest because of the, the convenience of the nonstop flights? That's certainly, a. On a connection,
0: mm-hmm. it's the default is thinking of the business person and, and the companies that are based here. But the companies that are based here also want to treat their guests that are flying in to come visit them. So we also see, think the traveler coming in is, is a great target uh, customer. Um, also, just those people that value a little bit of quiet time before they go out on their flights. So we see families that will come in and enjoy that service as well. So you don't have to be a, just a, a business uh, person to enjoy what we have to offer.
3: All right. Well, I'm traveling to Boston twice this month, uh, both on Southwest. So I have got to go check out uh, the new lounge.
2: Wing tips. Check it out. It's in Terminal 2. Uh, again, in a part of the airport that really, uh, up until a couple of years ago, you could have called Concourse D. And it was all painted with TWA colors.
0: And shuttered gates.
2: Times are changing. Airport's getting busier. You know what else is uh, getting busier? The Cortex Innovation District. We talk about it so much, but so is the national media. The Wall Street Journal just this past week with another reference to Cortex. I mean, is is this innovation district in the heart of the city, but also in the heart of the region? Becoming a national model for a dense, tech-heavy district where everybody collaborates and, and, and just a, an innovation district example?
3: I think so. You know, one of the things that, uh, that researchers look, look at as their hallmark of success is how many times their work is cited in other people's projects, right? And so the Wall Street Journal uh, ran an article and did an article about uh, this new innovation district in Fort Wayne, Indiana, you could probably picture it. Close your eyes. It probably looks a lot like St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, and in this development, development of their innovation district, uh, they're looking at the model that so, that Cortex did. What is the value of um, being in a district where you're? You might even be
2: working next door to a competitor or somebody who you know could put you out of business. And yet, there's this culture of collaboration and. Even companies that don't have anything to do with each other, their employees intermingle and say that they learn from each other. You know, I,
3: I look at these districts as being proximity engines, right? Like they actually foster people being close to one another. Uh, you know, I, I think most of our listeners have had a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup sometime in their life, but the old Reese's commercials were these two people walking around a corner and bumping into each other saying, your chocolate's in my peanut butter, your peanut butter's in my chocolate. And supposedly, the legend goes, that's how the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup was created. Oh, like, what's what these cortex districts and innovation districts can do? These bump in opportunities. Sounds like a serendipitous collision right there. And, Peanut butter and one.
2: Chocolate. yeah. yeah. <laughs> we we'll, one. We'll have more serendipitous collisions next week as we continue the innovation conversation. Thanks for joining us for Nothing Impossible this
3: week. Go out and innovate.
1: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio.